You're listening to What Were You Thinking? with Eric McCoy and Paxton Dickerson, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hey, this is Eric McCoy, and with me here is Morella McCoy. We got the same last name, but we're not related. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, we're not related. That'd be weird. You are my wife, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little bit. (laughs) We're related through marriage. (laughs) So anyways, this is What Were You Thinking? And uh, we're always looking for uh, some feedback and some ideas from people. Uh, When we actually kind of go through the topic, we talk for a little bit. We would love to get some phone calls. The number to call is area code 323-203-0815. Again, that's 323-203-0815. So today, I want to actually talk about one of a very uncomfortable topic Mm -hmm. that... uh, we highly recommend is discussed in schools. And uh, as last week, we talked about substance abuse. Um, we obviously want to have substance abuse talked about in schools, educated. And we also want to have sex education that's talked about. I did a podcast earlier today, and I'm not going to mention the person's name because I haven't actually asked him if I could put his name on here. <laughs> and I'm actually thinking, hopefully, that he's actually listening to this show. Um, but we actually talked about the topic of sexual abuse. They actually say that on average, about one in four girls will be sexually abused and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18 years old. And the statistics may be a little off too because a lot of boys don't say anything. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually threw a number out on the show and I think it was about 64. 2016, there was about 65,000, but they also say that about one in, there's only about one in 20 that actually are reported. Right. So actually that number would be way off. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the biggest concern, obviously, within the realm of what we're talking about is long-term damage that can be caused by uh, sexual you know, abuse, um, which could include, you know, obviously um, any family members, incest, you know, uh, caretakers, and the long-term effects of the trauma and the abuse. um, And and so I wanted to bring, obviously with you, you are now my co-host on this show, and yep. uh, and, and I hate to say this, but you are an expert in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing in, in this realm yeah. <laughs> of what we're talking about. Um, and I want to actually really delve into at uh, some point in time, I want to really delve into um, you know the the idea that our society is so much more focused on catching people versus preventing this idea. You know, there's a lot of families out there that don't want this to be discussed in schools, just like substance abuse. Um, They feel that if we talk about this, people are gonna be more likely to have sex. Now, that's a crazy idea because- Absolutely, 100%. Juveniles are gonna have sex one way or another, most likely. Um, You do have the few exceptions. Right, and like we talked about before, you have a biological need to have sex, yeah. right? So to say children are not gonna have sex when they're in the most hormonal part of their lives is absurd. Absolutely. And not talking about it doesn't make it go away. Correct, and one thing that could be helpful is that you could actually educate them and then they could have safe sex. Safe sex, sex. 100, 100%. Because <laughs> they're either gonna have sex or they can have safe sex, mm-hmm. you know? Um, But in the realm of what we want to actually talk about today is um, obviously inappropriate sexual behavior that's typically by an adult Mm -hmm. to a child. Mm -hmm. And and you do have a story. I do. Um, And so I wanted to, again, I want to actually really delve into what we can actually do to help prevent this. Mm -hmm. But I do want to give you an opportunity really quick. Um, We actually have done a podcast on High Wall Clean. Um, on my show where we do delve very in-depth into what your story looks like. But if you want to give a quick synopsis Mm -hmm. of what you had to experience as a child. Yeah, so um, I was sexually abused by a family member from the started about the age of five. And I finally said something about the age of 13 um, when I found out that he was now pursuing my little sister, right? Um, 
And just like the predator had told me coming out and telling, uh, you know, what was happening really, really split my family in half. Right. And so it caused a lot of psychological damage to myself, um, a lot of self-hatred, some self-loathing, obviously some drug addiction, promiscuity. You know, there was a lot that happened um, in, in, um, in just coming out. So there was already trauma that had just started to occur during the molestation and during the sexual abuse. Um, but then it just made it worse after I came out. And for somebody who's 13 years old, who at 13, the world revolves around you, right? <laughs> so you feel like you've destroyed all these lives and you become shameful and afraid, um, you know, and so a lot of stuff happens from, from that point on. And so I think that's really what we want to talk about, right, is how to get away from that feeling of shame and guilt and how we can start to really educate our children to not be afraid if somebody is inappropriate with them or even before they become inappropriate. What are those cues or those signs that we can look at, mm -hmm. right? Um, you asked a really good question. Do I blame my parents? And I don't. I, I really do not because of the fact that they were not fully educated. Um, you know, we got to think about the fact that uh, we now are in a generation where we are much more open and talking to our children about sex. Most for the most part, right? We do have some overly religious people who don't want to talk about it and it's faux pas in their home. Um, but most people talk about sex now to their children and, and they're more open and say it's a natural thing. It's this, it's that, you know, mm -hmm. so you're so. Um, so back in the day, you weren't you didn't talk about sex. Mm. I, I had no sexual education from my parents at all. The only sexual education I got are from my peers and from some little, an hour class in science. Um, you know, and I'm sure the same for you, right? Especially growing up in a religious family, you definitely didn't talk about that, right? It was a sin. It was a you sin, know? absolutely. Um, we, were, we were actually discussing this, uh, you know, earlier that, you know, for me, um, sex was extremely uncomfortable growing up. Um, but I acted out tremendously on it, mm -hmm. you know, um, masturbation, you know, I, <laughs> from, you know, first, the only memory I have of first grade again was, you know, finding a Playboy magazine and bringing it into school, showing my kids, saying it was so cool. Of course I got caught and I got busted, right. you know, first grade. I don't even remember how old you were. That's really the only memory I have of first grade. Probably like seven, I think. <laughs> yeah. Six. And, uh, and I had a lot of awkward experiences, you know, um, with, um, you know, my interest in sex, you know, at a, young age. At a very young age. Um, and yes, it was not talked about, mm -hmm. you know, it was, you know, if it was talked about, it was that you don't do these things, right. you know, you'll go blind, right. like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you'll get hair on your palms. Hair, and, uh, yeah. I, I remember that. Well, how does that work for females? I, I don't think it does. Oh, okay. and, and, and it's funny because I grew up with a bunch of sisters. So I thought masturbation was only for boys. Hmm. I didn't know girls can masturbate. So that was a little awkward as I got older, um, you know, to, to find out, wait, girls masturbate too? So, um, you know, but in a, in a different story, because of the fact that I had this background of, you know, this sexual trauma that happened to me at a young age, when I had children of my own, and they became to, started to feel around and start to, you know, and they, they actually start pretty young, believe it or not. Um, it wasn't me going, oh, they're just, they're just starting to feel their body. They, they like, you know, feel the touch of their body and that kind of stuff and exploring. It was an instant, somebody's molesting my kid, mm. right? Somebody's touching them inappropriately and teaching them how to do this, right? So it was, it was, it, my mindset was that sex was wrong and if if you learned young what sex really was or the just touching your penis or you know whatever it was inappropriate mm. and I'll, I'll never forget the time that you know when my oldest was got caught pretty much playing with himself in first grade and um, my immediate uh, you know th thinking was somebody's teaching him how to do this 
He's, you know, they're molesting him. I took him to the doctors. I was in a panic. I had him checked out. And I remember my ex-husband at the time um, and my and the doctor pretty much laughed at me and said, uh, no, he's a boy. And he just found his penis. That's <laughs> all he did. There's no sign of sexual, you know, sexual abuse or anything like that. But it was this instant fear that something was happening to him. You know, working in the substance abuse field, you know, we see a lot of our clients that come in and, uh, you know, a lot of females that come in that have that history of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and the sad part about it is we actually do have quite a few males that come in that had been sexually abused, of course, that don't want to disclose that information. Um, and we do find out later that this was something that they had gone through. Um, one of the things that happens, and this is fairly consistent across the board, is again, number one, that they blame themselves, mm -hmm. and number two, um, destroy families. Right. And I know in your situation, that's exactly what had happened, um, was again, you blamed yourself. And I did ask you that question, right? Um, you know, why do you think that the children blame themselves? Well, I think the biggest thing, and, I, and, and we discussed this, is that as children, we see adults as these godlike figures. They know everything. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. There's, you know, um, so when when you start to be sexually abused, one, the abuser is really knows it's wrong, but knows exactly what to tell a child to make it seem like it's their fault, mm -hmm. right? If you, you know, let you know, if you tell anybody this is going to happen, if you know. Um, whatever they they just tell you all these lies and children are so vulnerable and and we we hear those lies and we see them as truths right so um and i remember in my case you know i was told um that if um i told that it was going to split up my family that um that uh, he would deny it and um, nobody would believe me and nobody would love me and they'd get rid of me, you know, or they would send my parents back to Chile, you know, like it was, it was a lot of lies and a lot of manipulation that happened um, during, during that time. And you hear that from the victims, especially at a younger age, time and time and time again. Um, and you also hear it from, from adult women or a men who, I just went to a club and I got raped. They don't blame the rapist. They look at themselves, okay, how much did I drink? Was I too flirtatious? What was I wearing? So they start to question what they did to provoke the rapist, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't always have to necessarily be the child who's being manipulated. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because we are quicker at trying to find a reason why something happened, we put the blame on ourselves. Could I have said something different? Could I have acted different? Could, you know... Um, I don't know what I would have done at five years old. I don't think that a five-year-old is sexy at all. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, now, hindsight being 2020, I know for a fact there was absolutely nothing that I did. Mm -hmm. But I spent a good portion of my life believing that I was in the wrong, right? Um, so it, it took many, many years and unfortunately, it took the death of my mother to really start learning how wrong I really was, right? And how even coming out and talking about um, talking about the molestation and 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 how this family kind of split into two, and some believed me, some didn't, and you know it was all this this turmoil that happened in my family because of it. And now, just. Full disclosure, my parents 100% did believe me. This is more of like aunts and uncles kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I don't want anybody to say, oh my gosh, Morella's parents didn't believe her. They absolutely believed me and they supported me. Um, you know, uh, I think they took on a lot of guilt too for not watching the cues of that I was giving um, that we talked about. Um, and I and I just feel like, like I said, a, a, a child is going to blame themselves. Mm -hmm. It just it just happens. Now, my guest that I had on my show uh, earlier today on my High Wall Clean podcast, 
you know, his story was very unique and I'm really proud of him, you know, for, for being, being that person that, you know, has that courage, you know, to come forward and to tell the story. Um, and you know, with his, with his case and his story, it was his family, you know, it was his parents that were the abusers. Mm -hmm. And this is where things get really challenging and really tricky because how do you prevent that? You know, and how do, you know, I think part of our duty, you know, for me especially, and obviously I'm, obviously I'm somebody that works to fight the stigma of substance abuse, mental health, um, you know, anything that, you know, trauma or anything that people experience. This is one of those areas that, um, you know, is horrific and causes, obviously, a lot of the substance abuse and mental health, mm-hmm. you know, issues that we, we see out there, whether it be depression and anxiety, you know, the... Um, and the substance abuse is very profound, you mm-hmm. know, with people that have had, had to go through this stuff um, to numb themselves. I don't want to feel anymore. I don't want to have to remember this stuff. And, uh, and so that's where things become even trickier. You know, how, and, and I think, I mean, I kind of have a great idea on the answer, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I think, was it Kennedy who said it takes a community to, you know, to raise a child? I think it was one of the presidents that said that. Um, we'll say yes. Let's yeah, let's just say yes. I, <laughs> I sound really smart when I talk about the president. Um, I it it's or was it Reagan? Okay. Anyway, so um, one of the things that or, or was it Bush? <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't Bush. Um, <laughs> one of the things. Lincoln. let me finish what i'm saying (laughs) okay i'm stuck on that now Uh, right so one of the things that i think happens is um your neighbor next door turns their back and and thinks they may see something but they're like it's not my business so they don't say anything right there had to have been in in this particular in your guest case Somebody must have known something was going on. There was not just in those four walls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, things, some sort of feeling, some sort of gut feeling that somebody's, but they're, they don't listen to that gut or they're just like, no, there's no way and it's none of my business and, and that kind of stuff. So, so. And you're now, you're also talking about, you know, back in the 70s and, and you know, the, the time frame, mm-hmm. you know, the late 60s. Right. So the time frame is different, too. Mm-hmm. Even more so do, do people get less involved. Mm-hmm. Now we've got a bunch of Karens that get involved in everything. But, you know, they still there's still still people out there that are. I don't know. It seems kind of weird, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to question it. Right. Um, I don't want to get involved or, you know, whatever. So you have other family members thinking this way. You have neighbors thinking this way or, or whatever. And so they don't say anything. That's mm-hmm. number one, right? Number two is really starting like the education of the schools. I think we start too late to start mm. talking about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, right? Because typically what, it's high school, junior high? It's junior high, I believe. I want to say seventh or eighth grade when they really start talking about sex ed. And this can definitely be well beyond when, when this type of stuff is happening to Absolutely. So as part of my story, um, Again, eight years. I was being molested eight years almost every weekend, you know. Um, kept it on the DL, didn't say anything. It was really quiet about it. Um, I felt very dirty. I felt very shameful. I just couldn't say anything. Um, and I remember that my little sister came to me and said, hey, did so-and-so ever touch you this way? You know, she looked up to me. We were three years apart. And... I I didn't deny it. I told her yes. And I asked her if, if, if um, he had been going to her. And he, he, she said she had a couple, he had a couple times. And it's just so happened that within that week or two, it was around that time that we were doing our sex education. In, in, and I want to say it was eighth grade, um, seventh or eighth grade. And um, during that, they started talking about the inappropriate touching adults, how they're not supposed to be touching you at this, you know, in certain spots and, you know, whatever. And if something happens, you say something, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I remember getting really angry at the teacher Mm -hmm. and I was like, this is bullshit. I don't want to be in this class. It's stupid. Like, and I just kind of like blew up a little bit. 
So after class was over, he calls me in and, I, and he's like, what was that all about? And I'm like, this is just stupid. Like, I don't want to talk about it. It's really dumb, blah, 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 you know? And because I was angry. I was angry at the fact that now my little sister was going to go feeling this way that I felt for the last eight years. Again, very protective of her. And um, he he didn't like that conversation. He didn't like how it felt, right? It didn't feel good to him, you mm -hmm. know, in that sense, like something's not right. And he went to my to the school counselor. So the next day I come into school, I go to his class and the school counselor calls me in. And she asks me about my outburst, right? And I just couldn't take it anymore. And I finally said, this is what's happened. This is what's been happening to me. But it would have been stopped a lot sooner if we started educating a lot sooner about this. Absolutely. Now, mind you, my mom had already started teaching us at a young age, you know, it's not appropriate for anybody to touch you here, you know, those kind of things. But the molestation had already started to happen. So I don't think she started probably around six, seven, you know, when we're starting to bathe our own selves, you know, so I'm no longer going to bathe you kind of thing, you know. Um, so that's that's kind of one of the things that that we need to start doing is really start educating our children at a younger age. Right. Um, and 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 listening to that gut, listening to that gut feeling like um, and, and knowing that that. I mean, don't just call CPS as soon as you get a gut feeling like something's up. Sure. You know, um, and there's those people that will do that. Like if a kid falls down and gets a bruise and all of a sudden the parents are abusing them, you know, kind of thing. So you, you want to be mindful of that gut feeling that you're getting and just be a little more inquisitive. Bring that child to you and be like, hey, want to talk? You know, start kind of, especially when it's the parents. Right. Right. You know, in the field, uh, the substance abuse field, you know, we have, um, you know, various conditions in which we are our duty to report mm -hmm. um, or duty to warn. Right. Right. And, you know, obviously there's, you know, harm to self, harm to others, child abuse and elder abuse. Mm -hmm. Now, child and elder abuse are the two that don't require definitive proof. Right. It's actually just if you think mm -hmm. something may be happening, you're to report that. Right. Well, as a CASA advocate, I have I am now a mandatory reporter too mm -hmm. in my volunteer work. You know, I worked when I when I owned a program in Anaheim, Serenity Life Counseling, and uh, you know we were an outpatient program. We did an altered residential treatment program. Um, and our primary clientele were alternative sentencing. And so, you know, we used to work with a lot of people, getting them out of custody and working with them. Probation contacted us one day and wanted to know if we were interested in starting a program for juveniles, mm -hmm. uh, juvenile sex offenders. Mm -hmm. And this was very interesting to me. And I sort of um, kind of jumped on the idea because I was very curious on a lot of stuff, you know, with... Um, you know, as, as, you know, I am somebody that is always trying to have an empathetic view, trying to understand why do people do the things they do? Mm -hmm. And so I created a whole program. I sent it to probation. They approved it. And so we started getting clients that came in that were typically between the ages of 12 to maybe I think the oldest was 16 years old. Now, some of their charges were very minimal, like peeing in public and, you mm. know, <laughs> you know, things like that, which used to not be a, a yeah. sex offense, but now it is because of decent exposure. But there were definitely cases of um, sexual assault. There was, um, and, and what interested me also was when I look at the time frames, right? So when we were kids, you know, you'd be 16 years old and you could sleep with a 16-year-old and you just have sex. Right. Now, if you're 16 years old sleeping with a 16-year-old, it's called statutory rape. Right. Even though you're both juveniles. Right. And so this was something that I also saw. Now, when I had the cases of the people that were charged with um, more violent sexual assault with the juveniles, um, I asked a lot more questions. Right. Because something, I knew something was going on. There had to be something within that. 
Um, I also found with these individuals that they were much quieter and they didn't disclose a lot of information. And I actually did talk to uh, probation about that. You know, I have some concerns here Mm -hmm. that maybe something's going on. Um, But I kind of just, you know, other than just disclosing that information, ran the program the way that I was supposed to. Right, right. Um, Because the question comes about at some point in time, when does a victim, especially the child, become the perpetrator? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't and happen to everybody, right? It, it does not. Uh, it absolutely does not. But, and especially juveniles we define as innocent, mm-hmm. right? Juveniles are innocent. And so if you have a juvenile that is, again, raised in an environment where they are sexually abused, maybe even violently sometimes, and that is what they know, mm-hmm. then... In, in a lot of cases, just like we could talk about hate, you know, hate is taught right. that a juvenile is taught that these are the actions, these are the things you do. And even though, I mean, in my mind, I would say it doesn't make sense, but right. in their mind, it makes sense mm-hmm. that that is what you do. That's what my parents taught me. They're, they love me. You know, um, they must be telling me the truth. Right. And so when does the victim become the perpetrator? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's it's interesting, right? Because this kind of goes in line with the, the guests that you had on your on high high while clean. Um, it's learned behavior. Sure, it's absolutely learned behavior. Now, you know the the story could be that if I lived with this individual every day in and out, and this was happening to me every day, you know, um, kind of thing, would I then become? you know, a, a um, predator as well, right? And so if you weren't if, educated. Right, if that's the only thing that was educating me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't see anything wrong with it. I, I think this is normal, right? Um, you know, and again, some people know it's wrong from the gate, from the gate, they don't, they, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it, it's different, you know, again, back to the mind chemistry, the way the body works, the what we've been taught, what we haven't been taught. Um, and it, it's sad, but I think that if you catch something like this early with the juveniles and, you know, whatever, and you can really get to the root of the problem, you, that, that he might help heal them faster so that they're, they know that that is not an appropriate way to behave or, you know, whatever. Um, and, 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 you know, you teach them respect and you teach them love and you teach them what they haven't learned mm-hmm. right up until whatever t- year they were when they were there um but yeah i mean it, it I, I don't know if people really understand and even some of the some of my family members have a hard time understanding that this happened so many years ago and i remember before my mom died there was this big argument about um why she hadn't gotten gotten over it why she was still upset about what happened to her daughters, right? How long are you going to hold on to How it? How long are you going to hold on to it, right? And really it was, anybody can come over to my house except for him. He's not allowed to step a foot, in, a foot into my house, you know? And so there was like a party and people were visiting from outside of the country and, and stuff like that. And she says, well, you all are welcome, but he's not welcome. And that became this big, huge battle. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my dad, I can't believe, I think I was like, maybe 40 already and i said i can't believe Damn, I'm, you're 40 i'm just kidding i can't <laughs> actually i'm 45 and proud of it damn <laughs> i'm still younger than you so um so i i remember i'm in my 30s times two um times two <laughs> so, so the the no, I'm not in my 60s. You know what? Forget it. <laughs> Forget what I was going to say because now I don't even remember. I told you every time you interrupt me. <laughs> such a pain in my body. <laughs> this is what I have to live with, folks. Um, <laughs> um, but I, re- I remember that being a, bi- a big deal. And I remember telling my dad, I can't believe I'm 40 years old and still having to deal with this. Hmm. These arguments, this back and forth with the family. And I cried to him and I said, I'm sorry for all the pain that I caused. Mm-hmm. And I'm 40 years old. And I'm like, he's like, what are you talking about? You are the hero of this family. You saved this family. You know, you saved your sister. 
And I never saw it that way. To me, it was you, I in my mind, I was the one who caused all the problems. You know? So it was really interesting because, you know, t talking about the long-term effects of sexual abuse. You know, right. the long-term effects of the sexual abuse and how, um, and, and how you just, you become not just the victim, but you put all that blame and all that guilt mm -hmm. on your on your shoulders. Right. And so really one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this with you today and really bring this out to the community is is how do we victims get past the shame and the guilt and really start to heal. You know, and really start to Absolutely. believe that um, you know, there, there is a, there is a way to heal that you are not, you have no reason to be guilty. You have no reason to be shameful. And the longer you keep that door closed inside you and you don't speak about it, the longer you're going to be in pain, the longer you're allowing the predator to win. Mm. And that's, what's really important to really talk about, not just prevention of sexual molestation, or abuse, but really talking about that healing process. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you all three, uh, or actually all five of the kids, they know my story. I'm not afraid to talk about it. Um, and and I and I did that with like you know my three biological children. I did that purposely, um, and just like we talked about, I always taught them about sex purposely, you know. Um, put condoms in their stockings, right? Just, mm -hmm. hey, if you're gonna do it, just be careful. Keep it, you know, keep it wrapped up. Um, because I wanted them to know that there's no, there's nothing, there's no secret big enough to where you cannot come to your mother. Mm. If somebody ever were to attack you in any way or, or touch you in inappropriate any way, anything that makes you uncomfortable, you can now as mother have as your mother you know you have me to support and that i would never turn my back on you or mm. ever you know so it was really important for me to share those in you know share that information with my children as they got older i mean obviously i didn't scare them when they were like little kids you know but as they got older to let them know that it was really important for them to know that they can come to me for anything mm. no there's nothing so big that i we can't get through yeah, right absolutely um, but as little kids, I did teach them, okay, this is not appropriate to touch and, you know, whatever. And I was also very careful about who I left with my kids with. Mm -hmm. And so this is what's really hard is like, I think we talked about this too, right? We automatically know when they're strangers. We don't let strangers come near our children. Mm -hmm. like, you know, I don't know. You look a little mm -hmm. fishy. Even if you don't look fishy. No candy. Right? No candy. <laughs> um, but we, we're, we're not as careful when it comes to our family, right? And the person that molested me was my grandfather. Because you naturally, now this does bring an interesting topic because mm -hmm. there is some debate and questions on the safety of him. Right, right. Um, which we don't necessarily have to get into, right. but I do wanna point out real quick, Johnny Rock actually sent me a message real quick. It takes a village to raise a child Thank you, Johnny. Is an old African proverb that Hillary Clinton used at some point. Ah, okay. So the one president we didn't mention. Oh, she's not a president. She didn't. Wait, she, she, did, wasn't, she, wasn't she, she didn't win. Never mind. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, thank you, man. Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> he, he's got my back. Um, so, so yeah, very, very true. I knew I had heard it from someplace. Yes. So, um, so any, anyways, what were we saying? What, where did we leave off? Um, I want to mention really quick, if somebody wants to call in, we'd, we'd uh, really appreciate it. 323-203-0815. Um, we're always looking for anybody's ideas. We want to know what you were thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, as far as the education. Yeah, and, so we were talking about the fact that we're not as cautious when it comes to family. Correct. Right? Um, and like I said, the, the, my predator or the predator, I'm not really mine. I don't, he doesn't belong to me. Um, but, uh, he was my grandfather. Mm -hmm. My parents had no idea, right. That, that, that he would do something like that to, to their children. So how would you say that then if, if, okay, so 
if if you if your family members obviously there's no question that this person would do this. We're just going to roll with that. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Why would this person do this? You know. Right. So how do we identify that? You know, how do you, you know, do you, I mean, you go through and you question them all the time. Okay, are you, you going to molest you know? my kid? No, no. Um, but, but going back to probably symptoms, you know, is, what is are really you? looking at the cues of your child. Uh, one of the things that we would go to my grandparents' house and, um, you know, the old man, that's what we, they used to call him the old man. That's not me calling him that, right? The, yeah. old, the old man, he's in his room, he's watching his TV and he's in bed. Got his pajamas on. He's in bed. Had dinner, whatever, and we would go over there. And as part of the Hispanic culture, it was like, "Oh, go give your grandmother a kiss. Go give your grandfather a kiss." You know that kind of stuff. And I do remember several times me saying, "I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to go say hi to grandfather." You know. Did they ask why? No, and they they would force me to go because it is a, it, and again in the Hispanic culture. It is a form of disrespect if you go into somebody's home and you don't say hello. Yes, and I noticed that with, and I've obviously had to learn that with my family, your family. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys being Hispanic, um, me being a white person, we don't really give a fuck. You know, yeah. we just say, <laughs> like, "Hey, how's it going?" Yeah, you know, but you always. Which then I had to get used to your yeah. family too to be like, "Oh, we don't hug and kiss here. Like, what's going on?" Right. And so, you know, you mention that all the time. Did you say hi to my dad? You yeah. know, like it's, yeah, you know, it I don't, but I always do. I yeah, always I do, do go straight to your dad. You know, I love your dad. Your dad's an amazing man, you know. Um, He's a stubborn brat, but absolutely. I love him too. He's an asshole too, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows it. So that's, that's good, right? Um, yeah. And so that in the Hispanic culture and anybody who's in the Hispanic culture will know you go in you know, you give a kiss, yeah. you give a hug, whatever. I, I don't give your dad a kiss. So. No, you don't. Yeah, that's fine. It's more on the woman's side. But, um, <laughs> you know, so so that's just how we are. We're very loving, touching people. Mm-hmm. Right. So as a child, if you're if your child's like you know, pulling at you, I don't want to go say hi to him and, you know, whatever. It's not because they're trying to be disrespectful. Ask, stop and ask mm-hmm. your child what's going on, honey. What's what's happening? You know, and, and listen to their cues. Right. Um, and even as I got older, okay, we're going to go visit grandma and grandpa, you know, whatever. No, I don't feel like going. So I'd stay home, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember there's certain things that I remember where he would hug me and he would hug me so tight that I had to like wiggle my way out of him. And, um, and my parents going, oh, he's just trying to give you a hug, you know? And, and it was because I was so uncomfortable with his, you know, arms around me mm-hmm. kind of thing. And. And, um, you know, I, there's certain smells that I still smell where I'm like, oh, like it gives me shivers. And I think he old, I think he wore like Old Spice or something like that because there's a certain cologne that I'm mm. like, oh, it just, you know, um, kind of gives me the the willies there. But, you know, it just, it, you really have to watch your child's cues. And if they're too young, you know, babies, um, one, two years old where they can't really talk, the only way they can communicate to you that something's not right not kosher is by you know temper tantrums when somebody's around or you know anger throwing things at the person you know um you know those kind of things so you just really got to listen to those cues now that doesn't mean that if they throw a temper tantrum or they throw things at you that they're automatically being abused but there's something about that individual that they don't like you know um so those are the some of the things that you want to look for right Mm -hmm. and um I know one of the things that is, um, as I've studied drastically, you know, with, uh, you know, symptoms and things of people with, you know, have experienced sexual abuses. And it's the same things that we look at in some aspects with drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, is there an immediate change in behavior? You know, do they go from being happy-go-lucky to now all of a sudden they're angry, irritable, frustrated, agitated all the time? They withdraw. You know, they don't open up and talk about things. Um, obviously, substance abuse, again, is very profound. Mm-hmm. Um, inappropriate sexual behaviors, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, and so, can you identify any others that you may? Um, I, well, I, would, I, would, I was always kind of a shy 
kid anyway. Um, and then as I got older, what I found is I started being like the class clown. I started being really just over the top, you know, and um, there's probably some of my staff members are listening today because I kind of said, if you don't listen to the show, I'm going to fire you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, some of that. <laughs> I don't even know. And you should say if they don't call. And if they don't call. Because right? we need to know what you were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they know I'm, I'm a jokester. I've always been a jokester. But I remember there was before I came, before I told that I was like the class clown. Like I had to be the center of attention because I felt like if I was the center of attention, people weren't looking at me like, what's what's wrong with her? Why is she withdrawn? Mm -hmm. So it's like you can't always just say it's only the withdrawn ones that are, that are um, you know, having issues or, or whatever. And then there's some people that are just shy and withdrawn, period. They're just, that's just their personality. Um, I think that's one cue, you know, that you can kind of look at is, is the change in behavior. So if you were shy at one point, all of a sudden you become the class clown or you're this class clown and all of a sudden you start withdrawing and, you know, and I was one of those, I always wore black, you know, like I was in this like gothic mode all the time. Um, you know, those kind of things. And, and that actually continued after I told, because I just felt so unloved and so, you know, um, broken inside about it that. I, you know, again, victimized and I became not just the victim, but I became the reason why this happened. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the things that you want to look for and just really kind of pay attention to your child, um, you know, and not to live in fear necessarily, but just to really, you know, because you're the, you're your child's biggest advocate. Right. And, and so when they can't talk, just ask them the question, pull them aside. Are you doing OK? Is everything fine? Can we talk about it? You know. Those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, as I was saying before, I mean, uh, this really definitely needs to be a community effort. Yeah. You know, we need to have the, you know, obviously the families. It's, it's uncomfortable talking to your kids about sex. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you kind of feel like oh, this is kind of weird, you know, but, you know, it is something that, um, you know, is very important. And then obviously also within the schools, you know, because, again, the reality being is that. You know, if obviously you have parents that are sexually abusing their kids, they're not going to be the ones that you want to teach right. their kids. Right. So then if you can actually incorporate the community side to it um, to where they get that opportunity at a younger age. And I like what you said, you know, that, that this stuff needs to start at an earlier age, mm -hmm. you know, then um, start talking about it at kindergarten. I mean, why wait until the eighth grade? To, to start talking about that stuff or relying on the parents that they're going to talk about this to their children. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it may, it may just well, very well be the parents, mm. you know? And, and the fact is they, the parents may have never experienced any of this. So to them, they're naive to it, you mm. know? Um, and they, therefore they don't think that they have to talk about it. Like they just go, you know, I think a lot of parents think that children born just knowing Right. And and um, I, you know, well, and the truth is, is that, yes, they, you know, they will figure it out. Yeah. You know, but again, the point that we're trying to get to is that, you know, if they can be taught about safe sex, you know, so that, you know, again, I, you know, we're not back in the 60s, you know, where it was just free love and we didn't have to worry about HIV. We were talking about yeah. that earlier. You don't have to worry about HIV or anything. The worst you'd get is chlamydia and, you and know, they got the penicillin and stuff like yeah. that to, to wrap that stuff up. Um, but then, of course, HIV came about and threw in a whole new new ball game, you mm -hmm. know, to the to the game. So, you know, safe sex is obviously very important. Um, and. Uh, but, yeah, and then just, comp you know, educating, educating about the whole picture, you know, yeah, it's, it's not just about, you know, um, about sex at a young age it's about really getting your children to understand their bodies and their rights of their bodies mm -hmm. um and don't get me wrong from the moment it started to the moment it ended i knew it was wrong right i i, I felt uncomfortable i knew it was you know i didn't like it it was a really you know um scary scary feeling but I felt like I couldn't, I felt trapped. I mm -hmm. couldn't say anything mm -hmm. because I would split up my family. It would be my fault. 
Yeah. You know, the the thing we were talking about outside here before we, we got started here was very interesting to me, too, because, you know, we were talking about, like, suppressing sex, right? Mm-hmm. Suppressing the, the, you know, that, you know, if you're religious, right, and obviously there are certain religions that believe that sex is straight for procreation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, you know, if you, anything of pleasure is a sin, you know, that, that uh, but if... I've drastically, and I've read the Bible, read it a couple times, and I truly, honestly believe God made us to get high. <laughs> yeah. It's my podcast, High Wall Clean, right? Mm-hmm. God made us to get high. I mean, that's the reality. You look within us, we have everybody chemical within us to get us high. Right. Not on drugs, right. but just a natural high. Anytime that you do something that feels good, you naturally want to do it. Sex is a natural desire, Mm -hmm. you know, that is implemented within us through hormones, everything that comes along with that. Obviously, the more that we're educated, the more we can can keep things in control and and maintain things. But what was really interesting we were talking about was the suppression of it, right? Right. You know, we were talking about like um, priests, you know, obviously the big thing about priests, all the sexual molestation with priests you know, and the harm that potentially could be caused by suppressing it. Priests aren't to have sex Mm -hmm. their entire life. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just seems unnatural. Yeah, we're suppressing something that's naturally in our... Now, that's not excusing the fact that they're... No, 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 absolutely, 100%. But it's it's absolutely, um, you know, suppressing ourselves from our own chemical reactions in our body and not all priests you know no and, and again yeah not all priests yeah um yeah just like not all people in utah you know are um, <laughs> are polygamy you know polygamy so yeah. so we get that you yeah. know that's kind of disclaimer that, there that's kind of you know federally that's illegal yeah right, yeah right but you know just disclaimer there we're not saying all priests are doing this but um, you know, suppressing ourselves from our chem- from our own chemical reactions is, is not is yeah. is unnatural, mm-hmm. right? It's an, an unnatural thing to do. Um, why there's like abusers that have this chemical in their brain that thinks it's okay to do this to young children is a whole other story, and and something that right. I could never even get into because I don't know enough about. The mind and, and how it works. Right. And, you know, I mean, there could be different factors. Obviously, mental illness could be a potential factor being raised that way. Maybe you know, they were like abused. we were talking about, you know, can definitely be a factor. There's no excuse for that. No. You know, um, you know, <clears throat> sometimes it can be helpful to, again, with the empathetic view to help try to understand, mm-hmm. you know, what what's going on here. Um, but. I think there's potentially a lot of factors behind that, you know. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And I think honestly, I mean, you probably look at the majority of sexual abusers, they probably were raised that way. It yeah. probably was something that happened to them growing up. Um, and the the thing that I always like try to tell everybody, you know, is and any, and not with sexual abuse, but with parenting in general, you know, some people grow up in you know, physically abusing family, emotional abuse, you know, mm-hmm. growing up, you know, you're beat, you know, the shit out of, you know, of course, uh, physical abuse, I think, has changed as In time has gone on back in the 40s, 50s. And when I was young and stuff like that, you know, your parents could, could beat, beat the, the hell out of you, leave you marks, and it wasn't, they'd never got arrested. It was now, yeah. Nowadays, you know, if there's even a mark on your kid, you can potentially get arrested for which. I don't know if that's right or wrong, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, the punishment was different, right? Um, and, and and you know, at the same time that all this, you know, sexual abuse is happening, I'm also dealing with a lot of emotional abuse, mm-hmm. sure. right, from from my father's side because he was uh, a recovering alcoholic and just was very, very hard on us girls, mm-hmm. very, very hard on us girls. Um, you know, he wanted boys and he ended up with four girls and, you know, um, but he just wanted us to be stronger. He just wanted us to be stronger women, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but he was very, very emotionally abusive as well. So how did I know that was wrong? Mm. I didn't know to go to tell somebody to say I'm being emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. I knew for a fact the sexual abuse was wrong. I just was too afraid to say anything. But the emotional abuse, where do I go? Because I'm as a little girl, I remember being told things about 
you know, how attractive I was and my weight was too big or, you know, mm -hmm. like there was always just some sort yeah. of ridicule that was happening. So how do you know that that's not right to say anything? So there, there when, you know, in, in, um, well, and it's funny when, you know, you always, I mean, we always say like, I'm never going to be like my dad. And then as we get over, like, fuck, I'm just like my dad. Right. <laughs> well, you see, and I, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't like that. I, I were I have worked really, really hard with my kids not to ever make them feel like they weren't good enough in mm -hmm. any way. Um, it, and it's funny because they have always told me, you know, the worst thing you can tell us, mom, is that you're disappointed in me. I'd rather you spank me with the belt mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, punish me in right. another way. But when you tell me that you are disappointed with me, I know that I have failed. Right. You know, and so it's like. That to, that to them is more of a stricter punishment. Yeah. You know, um, there's things that, you know, of course, all my kids have done stuff that have disappointed me. Sure. And I've yelled at them and I've gotten mad at them and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I've never let them feel like they were yeah. less than because I worked really hard not to let, you know, I didn't want them to feel the insecurities that I felt and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, we are out of time here. Wow. That. Time goes quick, didn't it? Yeah, I wanted to talk about like who, you know, how to get out of this feeling of shame and guilt, and we didn't. We've get got there. plenty more days, plenty more weeks. We can get delve into this topic also, um, but this was definitely a good topic, a mm -hmm. powerful topic. I know people out there are obviously going through this, um, and uh, and the more we talk about this, the better. Yeah, the less. All I want to say is to the victims out there of sexual abuse, don't hold on to that shame. Don't hold on to the guilt. Talk about it. Get it out. You are not you are not responsible for what happened to you. And, and let that go. Um, you will start to heal. You really will. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, honey. I'm All so right. glad. I'm so glad uh, this was a great topic today. Uh, yeah. And uh, I want to hear what you were thinking. Um, and so we will see you next week again, Thursday night. Um, this is LA talk radio. What were you thinking? We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Have a good night. You're listening to what were you 